Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer, Chapter Stubborn Stains. Stubborn Stains? Yes. And we'll soon know what those stains are. Blood. It's blood. It's definitely blood, isn't yes. it? Nothing brings a couple closer together than a room decorated in several pints of blood. This is horrible, Bernard says, his voice muffled by my neck as we cling together, burying our faces in each other. Yes, it is. I concentrate furiously on Bernard's warmth, the press of his arms, the familiarity of his smell, the normality of him, and attempt to regulate my breathing. If Bernard hadn't been here, I'd have got the serious willies and run out of the place within a second of glimpsing the living room. Dave is entirely unperturbed, which I'm actually quite surprised about because he can be a bit of a wimp sometimes. He's terrified of balloons, for instance. I asked him about it only a few months ago when I was super excited about using my new powers to gain a real insight into the private life of my dog. We were in Finsbury Park at the time and he'd just gone ballistic at the sight of a couple of children running around with a helium balloon. The barking hadn't lasted for long. His nerves visibly gave out, and he'd scooted behind a bench with his tail under his legs. The children, freaked out at being barked at with such hysteria, had beat a hasty retreat. It's only a balloon, Dave. What's your problem with them? Dave hadn't answered for a while, too intent on keeping an eye on the enemy through the slats in the bench. Once they'd cleared to a safe distance, I had his attention again. Anyway, it turned out Dave's under the impression that balloons are fat, predatory birds, and their unnatural quiet and stillness, besides a bit of bobbing, is the prelude to a vicious attack. I told him that wasn't the case, but he clearly didn't trust my ability to identify fat, predatory birds. He's wrong on that score. I've known plenty. Had to warn one off Bernard quite forcibly once. You know, sometimes I rather miss the days when Dave was a bit of a mystery. Anyway, Dave isn't scared here. Balloons are threats, whereas a sofa and carpet covered in dried blood is clearly an ex-threat. I suppose I can see the logic in that. While Bernard and I clutch at each other, Dave is sniffing around the room quite happily, even licking things. Ugh. Gainer is hovering by one of the larger stains, careful to avoid floating through Dave's little body as he runs about. Bernard and I are by the door, barely having ventured very far into the room. It's not just the decorative palette of dark reds that's freaked us out. It's the smell. There's a metallic tang in the air, but that tang is almost overpowered by the sweet scent of biological rot. There may not be a body here anymore, but enough has soaked into the furnishings to make breathing through one's nose unadvisable. 
buck up, youngsters. Trills Gaynor, but I can hear a note of disquiet under the bonhomie. It can't be nice for her. I break away from Bernard, but we continue to hold hands. Do you remember anything new, Gaynor? I ask, a tremor in my voice. I've been wondering if violent death can bring on post-traumatic stress syndrome and a subsequent loss of memory. Perhaps if that is the case, then that memory can be regained and Gaynor can tell us about her murderer. But Gaynor shakes her head. No, afraid not. Why don't you ask Dave what he thinks? You can't understand the animals, can you? Even though you're... spirit. She shakes her head again, so I turn away from her to locate my lovely little fluffy kittens, who I soon spot licking a patch of didn't-used-to-be maroon carpet. Dave, Christ's sakes! Dave looks up and wags his tail uncertainly, as if he doesn't quite understand the note of disgust in my voice. I flash back to a similar episode. A lot of flashbacks in this one, isn't there? Yes, this is a lot of thinking for when you're walking around uh, the sort of crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) I like to puncture any tension in the air. Yes, it's good. Yes. So anyway, we were on a family holiday, spending the afternoon on a beach in Norfolk, when Dave found a plastic bag full of rotting fish and vomit and decided to roll in it. I say rotting fish and vomit, but that's just a guess based on the smell. A smell we then had to endure for an hour in the confines of a car before we got him into a bath. That's based on a real-life story. That's a true story, isn't it, that one, yes. Mm. I just don't understand it. How on earth do dogs combine a world-class sense of smell with an appreciation for the scent of putrefaction and faecal matter? It's like having exceptional musical abilities and choosing to listen to One Direction on a loop. You know what? I don't think I've ever heard a One Direction song. No, I, I, I actually, I'm not entirely sure that's fair. No, I'm not sure. There it are is. some One Direction songs which are rather well written. That's just bias, really. Well isn't produced, it? yes. Prejudice. So yes. who, who should we substitute? Who can we slate? <laughs> Who's worth slating? Who turned out to be a twat? Oh, uh, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Oh, right. There we go. It's like having exceptional music abilities and choosing to listen to Kid Rock on a loop. Come here, Davy. I sing song, gesturing him towards me. He trots over and I squat onto my haunches, scratching the dense fur around his neck. Bernard, can you record me? Dave is going to tell me what he can smell, and I'm going to repeat everything as Dave tells me. Bernard takes his phone out of his pocket and fiddles with it. Ready when you are, he says quietly. Give us the goss, Dave. Dave does. It takes a few minutes, then we get the hell out of there and go home as fast as we can. Oh, see? End on a bit of suspense. That's the end of the chapter. Yes, see. so we don't know what Dave told you yet. No, no. And now you're you're going back to, because you're doing this sort of hopping from chapter to chapter between the different characters, we're not going to find out for a little while, are no. we? No. You'll just have to stay tuned. Is that exciting or infuriating? It's probably a bit annoying. Yes, I feel annoyed. Yes. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. Every day in the nice little Canadian town of Beaver Mount, Ontario, is pretty much the same. Folks are polite, there's a hockey game that evening, and someone gets brutally murdered. Sorry About the Murder, a very Canadian murder mystery podcast. New episodes weekly. Listen to season one now by typing Sorry About the Murder into your favourite podcast app. Ah, but look! Should we do the next chapter? Yes. Stone Cold Mother. Fazir lay sprawled on his back on the chaise long in Elspeth's London abode, a meaty forearm slung over his eyes. His clothes were torn and dirty, lengths of straw littered his beard, and he smelled strongly of livestock. But he'd made it. The authorities didn't even know he was in the country. 
Elspeth stood stiffly to the side, holding a fleecy blanket, which she'd been intending to drape on the chaise so that his pong didn't rub off on the ersatz but bloody expensive Louis Fifteenth upholstery. Unfortunately, Fazir wouldn't budge. Elspeth huffed. Ostentatious gilded furniture and cow shit weren't an ideal mix. I think it broke one of my ribs. Fazir grimaced, and indeed a hoof mark was visible on the once white cloth of his robes. Fazir groaned. Why do they hate me so? Why? Poor Fazir. Elspeth said briskly, in the tones of a woman mentally calculating the cost of reupholstering versus total room redecoration. Did I say redecoration? You did indeed say redecoration. <laughs> uh, oh, what a Freudian slip. Let's it was. keep that. I think we will. It was a rather convenient excuse in a way. She was partial to a bit of interior design. Maybe you'd like a bath and a whiskey. She continued. That always perks me up after a long journey. Fazir took his forearm away from his face. The skin under his eyes was purple and considerably over the normal baggage allowance, his face creased with exhaustion and discomfort. Despite the ravages, Elspeth momentarily saw the boy in the man's face. The boy had often been covered in animal dung as well. Yes. He croaked, blinking. A hot bath and whiskey, yes, and then sleep. Fazir climbed laboriously to his feet and looked about him like a newborn calf, which was ironic as there were newborn calf bite marks all over his legs. Elspeth grabbed him by the arm and frog-marched him out of the room and into the third-floor bathroom. She left him with a stack of towels and instructions on where to find his allocated bedroom afterwards and then returned to the reading parlour. Elspeth mixed herself a black Russian at the 200-year-old liquor cabinet, her gaze lovingly caressing the expensive curly bits and wiggles inlaid into the wood. She did enjoy ostentatious furniture, although her attention soon turned away from such pleasurable distractions and onto thoughts of Fazir and what a major pain in the arse he was. He was a liability, quite frankly. Not just to her chaise long, but to the success of the whole venture. Despite putting on a good show of strength for his underlings, he'd never had the steely nerves of his brother, nor did he share any of his mysterious talents. All Fazir possessed, that was of any use to Elspeth, was a big fat checkbook. Elspeth rolled a cherry round her mouth pensively. No, that's not all he had. He also had a softness of will, a basic passivity which meant he was easily manipulated. And he wasn't terribly bright either, so he'd never figure out what she was actually up to. For years, Fazir had been unwittingly paying for Elspeth's research. All that time he'd seen her as a hard-working but ultimately expendable part of the team, someone he mainly kept around out of habit and loyalty. Yes, she may have been party to all major decisions, but Fazir believed that he and he alone decided the company's direction. But in reality, he had no real idea where his money went or why he found himself drawn to one venture rather than the other. Elspeth was the power behind the throne, her power all the more potent because Fazir wasn't even aware there was anyone lurking back there in the shadows. He believed the whispered voice came from inside his own head and therefore never thought to question it. Big, stupid Fazir. He wasn't a man, he was a lonely little boy mistaking turds for tropical fish. That's a metaphor from earlier. School, it is, it? yes, it is. Yeah, They might have forgotten that uh, little anecdote. Oh, yes, there it was, was a, a long chapter time ago. where little Fazir... Anyway... Go back and listen to it. Yes, find it somewhere. Elspeth swirled the drink around her mouth and looked out at the chilly London night. The cocktail was making her gums ache, but she still savoured it. It was foolish, she knew that. She had more porcelain in her mouth than a public restroom, but the hours of discomfort in the dentist's chair still hadn't dimmed her love of the sweet stuff. 
In fact, it had been she who had proposed the baked goods incentivization scheme to Vizier. She who had sourced the pastry chefs. Of course it had been her. Elspeth chuckled. Vizier couldn't scratch his own bum without it being the direct result of Elspeth's will. Less of a chuckle from Elspeth. <laughs> Elspeth placed her drink on the nearest flat surface, which turned out to be the marble book that was held in the outstretched marble hand of her statue of Athena, which she also occasionally used as a coat rack. Besides the book, Athena had an owl on her shoulder, a helmet upon her head, and a pair of knitting needles clutched in her hand, the uniform of the goddess of wisdom, battle, and craftwork. A strange trinity of responsibilities, perhaps, or possibly an indication that Athena was a woman who, in the parlance of women's magazines, truly had it all. Elspeth, on the other hand, was a woman who almost had it all, but who was in danger of missing out on it because of a man who had half a brain cell. Fazir. Elspeth gritted her teeth. It had been a mistake allowing him to come here. She really hadn't thought he'd be able to gain entry to the country, considering his status with the British government. Said status could have been improved with a few handouts to certain MPs that they already had in their pocket. But Elspeth didn't want Fazir to be too mobile, so she hadn't let that happen. And she was frankly stunned that he'd smuggled himself over in the manner he had, not to mention irked he hadn't forewarned her. When he'd rang and expressed his intention to join them for the ritual, Elspeth had assumed he'd be turned away at the airport. And then he'd just turned up, stinking of cow shit. Stupid, stupid bastard. She hissed peevishly. She really didn't want him to be here. He'd mess things up, she could feel it. Elspeth heard splashes in the background and briefly envisaged Fazir's giant hairy form in a mountain of bubbles. Ugh. She was revolted by big men. If she'd ever had a type, it was for small, neat fellows. Not that she'd ever had much time for all that ridiculous, jiggly-fleshed nonsense. All that moaning and bending yourself into unflattering shapes. Elspeth only ever suffered the indignity of it if she felt it was absolutely necessary, and she found it was only necessary when someone had to be convinced to do something for her. She smiled to herself, abstractedly proud by how persuasive her flange could be. She gave herself a shake. Such unnecessary thoughts, and when she had a kidnapping and a ritual to organise too. So much to do, and only four days to do it in. Plus, since the great lummox had unexpectedly landed on her doorstep, she also needed to convince Fazir to lay low and keep out of the way. Elspeth sighed and fingered her pearls. Maybe it was necessary to think about utilising the flange after all. Goodness me. Sort of got a James Bond element to it, hasn't it? It does, rather. But with wonky-toothed British normal people. Th that's right, yes. Do you think we might have found the real villain? Well, it's I think there were some clues, and I'm not going to be explicit about them, as to who Elspeth might be. Yes, that's right, yes. Uh, I picked up on it. I wonder if the listeners did. Yes. If anyone's still listening, do tell us what you think uh, the clues were in that chapter. That was very pessimistic, wasn't it, <laughs> if anyone's still listening? <laughs> if anyone finds themselves in the strange position of having got this far in the book, do give us a... do tell us. All right. <laughs> um, do listen up to the next chapter released on Thursday. Yes. Although it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's a podcast, so you can listen to it whenever. But it is released on Thursday. Yes. yes.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. The buyer awaits your decision, poised as one both ready for a fight and assured of its outcome. I'll have that relic now. Thaku, pretty boy, have more healing. We gonna need it. You guys might. One of you dies and I'm running for it. So don't. We'll have to use every advantage, and we've not many left. So, I'm confused. Uh, what am I supposed to say to him? Marcus, it's a role-playing game. Right. So, you're this holy guy, Benedict. Right. And he's just joined this adventuring party. Right. Why? Because we needed someone to heal us and not ask questions. Dumb! What? Any reason you want, Marcus. That's the great thing about this game. You can be anyone you want. Do anything you want for any reason, so long as it's true to your character. Cool. I totally got this. Uh, Wait, but... This artifact belongs to my church, and as such, I cannot part with it for any price. (laughs) Uh, what did I say? Kill them all! The Ordinary Epic, a podcast series about the extraordinary, the ordinary, and something in between. Listen now at theordinaryepic.com or on your favorite podcast app.